0: Bible. Um, Friends, Lent is over. Uh, Praise the Lord. Good Friday is in the past. Holy Saturday is over and we get to celebrate our resurrected King today. Uh, So let's look at Matthew 28 uh, this morning. Uh, We're going to look at the first 10 verses. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to talk about this, or I'm going to talk about it. You can talk back to me if you want to, uh, but we're going to talk about this incredible story, this incredible truth, this incredible moment uh, in history. Uh, so without further ado, this is Matthew 28. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothes white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. This is the Word of the Lord. Amen. Father, we are so thankful for Your Word. We're so thankful for the fact that we get to, as a church, sit under the authority of the Bible. We don't come to the Bible. We don't come to Sunday morning hoping to fit You in to our lives. But we come to worship a resurrected King and ask that You would mold our lives into men and women who are part, an active part of your kingdom. May we reflect the beauty of the resurrection to the world around us. And Father, I pray that you would be with our church. Help us to continue to grow in unity and faithfulness, what it looks like to love one another well. We pray for those who are struggling and hurting, even on this glorious Sunday. We recognize that we bring our pains into this building as well. Our relational pains, the arguments we had yesterday, our emotional struggles, our physical ailments, our financial burdens. Father, may Your kingdom come. May we as a church look to meet the needs of one another. May we live out Acts 2 where no one had needs among them because the church responded in love and kindness. And Father, may You make this Scripture pierce the deepest parts of our hearts today. The story of the empty tomb. May it not simply be a story that we're reminded of this morning, but through the work of the Holy Spirit, may You change us from the inside out. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Some of you may remember this movie. There's a second one that came out. We're going to talk about that. We're talking about the first one. If the Black Panther is new to you, if you've been living under a rock since 2016, the story goes that after the death of his father, T'Challa returns home to the African nation of? To take his rightful place as king. But a powerful enemy suddenly reappears. Test T'Challa. He's threatened by his cousin, a guy named Killmonger, played by Michael B. Jordan. Well, Killmonger challenges T'Challa in this scene right here, where if he wins, he takes over as king. In the challenge, if you remember, if you've seen the movie, he, and spoiler alert, this movie's five years old, so you're on your own if you haven't seen it, badly injures the child, hurls him over a waterfall to his presumed death. So now Killmonger has the power and he's about to implement his plan, his plan to distribute shipments of Wakandan weapons to operatives all over the world, thus causing more violence, and more violence, and more violence. This scene here is Killmonger supported by Wakabi, about to implement his plan. And this next scene is the woman to the left, we'll just call her General. Lady, is a boss, caught in the middle, can't stand Killmonger, but still kind of living into her role and is disoriented by the whole thing. Well, the scene continues with an airplane falling from the sky. Who's in that airplane? Go ahead, tell me. The Black Panther comes out, rising from that airplane, none other than T'Challa himself without a mask. In this scene, as as the music is resounding through the theater, he opens his arms wide open stares at Killmonger and he screams, I never yielded. As you can see, I am not dead. I never yielded. As you can see, I am not dead. I watched this about 85 times this week. <laughs> Chills every time. It's a 4 minute 31 second clip. I can tell you where it is on YouTube. And then boom... What happens to the women? The most profound part of this whole scene to me was this picture right here. The smile on her face. She's smiling because she knew at that moment everything is going to be okay. That's a smile of hope. Was there a battle to fight? Absolutely. Did she think it was going to be easy? There's no way she thought it was going to be easy. Did she even know how they were going to win? Of course not. Did she have a lot of faith in that kind of nerdy white guy flying that airplane? Probably zero. (laughs) But she did have hope. Because when the king came back, opens his arm and says, See, I am not dead. She's filled with something that was not there before. Brothers and sisters, this is us with the resurrection of Christ. It's not just a cool event that happened. It doesn't just show us that God is powerful, though he is. It doesn't just show us that he loves us, though he does. The resurrection tells us about our future. It gives us hope. And the difference between Jesus and the Black Panther, and let's let's be clear, there are a number of differences between Jesus and the Black Panther. But the biggest difference is that Easter tells us hope about the person of Jesus. I'm not going to bury the lead today. Is that He surprised the whole world not by just coming back from the dead, but by bringing a world from the future into the present. Yes, He was dead. He was 100% dead. And He came 100% alive again. But the resurrection, the whole person of Jesus, is about bringing the future hope into the present reality. N.T. Wright is the profound theologian on the resurrection of our time. And he says it like this. He says, the resurrection of Jesus, the great fact at the heart of the Easter faith, means that we now know, suddenly in a blinding flash, what our ultimate future will be. So what is hope, brothers and sisters? The principal response to the resurrection, what is hope? Hope is knowing that the future is certain. Amen? But I also want to say that as I get older and I turn 40 in about a month, and so I hope I feel that way on May 3rd. As I get older, I've noticed that some of my idealism of my 20s has started to fade a little bit. That idealism, if I'm honest, sometimes is, has been replaced, as it's faded, has been replaced with some cynicism. It's been replaced with some annoyance. And sometimes even flirting with despair. This idea of hope, though profound, though real, is also hard. To cling on to hope means to let go of other things. To cling on to hope means to let go of despair. It means to let go of cynicism. It means to let go of our old selves, our old mindset. And in some ways, in a weird way, we find comfort in the cynicism. We find some comfort in, in the despair, in the eeyore, in the woe is us. As an Anglican priest, the guy named Esau Macaulay wrote, hope is a demanding emotion that insists on changing you. Hope pulls you out of yourself into the world, forcing you to believe more is possible. And I read that and I'm both inspired and I'm also like, is it?" Sometimes I don't feel That way, but this is what hope—why hope is difficult—because it means being willing to be ushered out of ourselves into a world where Jesus is Lord. And though He's good, it can sometimes feel downright scary. I know many of you are Black Panther fans, but also is anybody a Ted Lasso fan in this room? The show rocks. It's in season three. I think it just started. I'm one episode in. I don't know how many episodes we have so far. For those of you who don't know, Ted, a homeboy there, he is a football coach, American football coach that gets recruited to coach a soccer team in England called AFC Richmond, a, make-up, a made-up soccer team. And though Richmond has an incredibly faithful fan, a rabid fan base, they get off to a... they've been in the, in the cellar for a while... And after Ted started as a coach, they kind of experienced a little bit of a resurgence, kind of a mini resurgence. And though they've had some good seasons, they've never had a quote-unquote championship team. Well, like I said, this season they were playing surprisingly well. And with the lead up, they have had some ups and downs, but they are in a final game and they're trying their best not to get relegated. And as Americans, we don't really understand this relegation system, but in essence, like the worst teams get knocked down to the second rung of championship teams. And so they're in that kind of final game against another Premier League team called Manchester City. And to avoid relegation, they have to win this final game. So the night before the game, Coach Ted and his assistant coach, and sorry, it's kind of dark up there. His assistant coach went to the local bar to discuss tactics. And these regular fans come up to him, these three guys who are always at the bar, and they have some positive comments towards Ted. They talk about how great of a job he's doing, and Ted kind of expects them to be hopeful and excited about the game. And then they note that they have actually conceded defeat already. And Ted wondered why the trio didn't have any hope. And then when May, the owner of the bar, comes over, she tells them, Ted and his assistant, Coach Beard, she says, it's the hope that kills you. This phrase is probably the most profound thing in that whole season one. It's the hope that kills you. Why did they say that? Why did those fans believe that? It's because they are deeply scared of being disappointed again. If we don't think we'll win, I'm not disappointed when we lose. And though I believe the resurrection of Jesus happened, and I know we have hope, if I'm honest, I'm tempted to be a lot like May and those dudes at the bar. It's the hope that kills you. But Easter is not inviting you and I to simply believe that our team might win a championship. It's inviting you and I to lean into a story to be honest about our fears. To let go of our temptation of despair and cling to a truth that God has overcome death and secured a future for you. This future that is profoundly good and profoundly certain. And I think this tension that we feel in life thinking about hope, is a lot of what those women felt at the scene of that tomb. The scene of the resurrection, like so many stories in the Bible, has been smoothed over. Since so often we picture the resurrection, the tomb with these kind of sweet music playing in the background, but it really was a chaotic scene. I'm going to read through it again. And behold, there was a great earthquake. An earthquake. Angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came, rolled back the stone, and sat on top of it. Angel has rolled back an incredibly heavy stone that one person could never have rolled back and is just chilling on top of it. Angel's appearance was like lightning, clothing white as snow, and for fear of him, the guards trembled like dead men. Presumably guards, super brave dudes, played dead like my seven-year-old when it's the end of the movie and they need, I, mean, I tell him it's time to go to bed and he just acts like he's asleep in the, in the chair. That's these guys right here. <laughs> Terrified. Angel then provides comfort to the women and gives them instructions. And the Bible tells us they departed quickly from the tomb with both fear and great joy. As we left Good Friday, Pastor Mack asked us to lean into Holy Saturday, the time when, from the perspective of the disciples, all hope had been lost. All that they had been doing, the mission of their lives, the sacrifices they had made, their leader had been brutally murdered. And it felt like they had given up all of their lives, made all these sacrifices, and had nothing to show for it. But then what happens that morning? The hero comes back, the tomb is empty, and more than anything, they felt that hope. Though fearful, hopeful. So what does the resurrection do? It gives us a future that is certain, but it's not just a future that is certain. It's a future where all of our needs and desires are 100% fulfilled. We think about eternity and the resurrection almost like it's a vacation where all of our life will, you know, of all our struggles here and then we go and we go to a new place that is just wonderful and it's the beach or the mountains or Disney World, whatever you have in your mind as a perfect vacation. But I want you to hear that it's even more than that. When we understand Jesus and our future, the more that that, that scary, that fear, that despair that we are tempted to have, It's replaced with great joy and anticipation, not just because it's a great vacation, but because we are encountering the person of Jesus who, despite every disappointment we experience with ourselves and with the world, gives us a reason to carry on because the future is more than just a new body. The future is more than just not having sin. In the resurrection to come, we don't just get our body back. We get the healthiest body you could ever imagine. Everything is made, made right. And you don't just get your life back. It's not just a better version of your life. You get the life. Every desire, every godly desire you've ever had is fulfilled in the resurrection. There are those of you who feel like right now, in your life you're missing out on aspects of life there's those of you who are feeling sadness mourning even grieving over the life you wish you had and if you're hitting my age or even older you can look back and you can be honest about life and there's some things in this life you will not get to experience and i don't say that lightly whether that is raising up a child, whether that's marriage, whether that's a certain job, whether it's a life that you long for, whether it's a certain calling that you wish you had or experiences that you wish you had. But the resurrection means that you will miss nothing in eternity. It's all coming in the future. It's all coming through the resurrection. And this changes our perspective because our lives though incredibly hard at times, the resurrection tells us no matter what happens in this life, though we will grieve it, it doesn't mean we ignore it, but we can look at ourselves, look at each other and say, because the resurrection is true, I have hope that God will make all things right. So hope is also believing that not only the future is certain, but also the future has burst into the present. Tim Keller says the resurrection was indeed a miraculous display of God's power, but we should not see it as a suspension of the natural order of the world. Rather, it was the beginning of the restoration of the natural order of the world, the world as God intended it to be. Brothers and sisters, the resurrection means not merely that Christians have a hope for the future, but today we have a hope that comes from the future into the present. That power that God will use to finally destroy all suffering, all evil, all deformity, and death is available right now. Partially, but substantially available right now. So when we unite with the risen Christ by faith, the future power that is potent enough to remake the entire universe, comes into us. Hallelujah. Amen. amen. So it's the future blasting into the present, giving us a picture of where we're going, yes. A future hope, yes, that is certain, that is good. But it's also empowering us to live into that reality in April of 2023. So hope is inviting us to say if the resurrection is real, which it is, What does that mean for our lives? It means, yes, we fight despair. Yes, we fight cynicism. But our ultimate future is not just to inhabit, not just to hang out in heaven for eternity, but actually be running it on God's behalf. Of course, that doesn't mean imposing our will. It means doing the will of the Father, but it means stewarding it, ruling with His gentle and wise love. Brothers and sisters, we are Easter people. And as Easter people, we are people that work towards justice because God's eternity will include perfect justice. As Easter people, we work towards perfect love because God's eternity includes perfect love. As Easter people, we work towards unity. We work towards reconciliation. We work towards a church body that looks like eternity. Because that's the kingdom of God bursting in to the present. And the other thing that we get to do as Easter people is we get to celebrate the daylights out of the resurrection. If Lent was a time where we gave stuff up, and I am every time with Lent, we, we, Pastor Max said this ago, weeks ago, when you get like three weeks in, you're, all of us are sitting there going, why did I give this up? Why did I do this? I don't want to do this anymore. Why did I give this up? Why didn't I give up something easier? Like, and I, I, I literally wrote a note in my phone for a reminder, February 24, don't give up, fill in the blank. It's too hard. Like, I'm tired of giving stuff up. But as much, as hard as, East, as Lent was, Easter's are 180 degrees from that. Holiness was never merely meant to be negative as well. It doesn't mean just not doing bad things the 40 days of the 50 days of easter season until the ascension ought to be a time to balance out lent and i want to invite you to celebrate well i want to invite you to take up something new try something even if you can't stick with it just let it be a taste of eternity of newness a new adventure a new sport a new hobby something wholesome and fruitful something self-giving and you may only be able to do it for six weeks, and that's okay. But if you really try it, if you really get into a routine of celebrating, maybe it gives you a hint of the new possibilities. Maybe it gives you a hint in a world of despair of the hope that we have. And it might even do something to the inner parts of you to bring Easter there. And I'm going to close with this. I read a story from a guy named Brian Chappell about a lady who taught high school and for a number of years, one of the special moments in her... She taught high school for a number of years. And one of the special moments was when she had a learning specialist come into her classroom. She began... The specialist began to examine some of the children, especially the ones that were struggling in school. And as the learning specialist, who God blessed them, she examined one young man. She found there was a strange disconnect... Between what happened, what went into his brain, and what he could produce on paper with his hand. So the teacher's not in this room, but there's sometimes where the, the, the student's absorbing it, but he has, has trouble getting it from his brain out through his hands onto the paper. Now, if you'd asked him the questions, he would speak the right answer, and he would tell you, but if he had to write it down, he just couldn't do it. And as you can imagine, the little boy struggled, high schooler struggled in school. And at the faculty meeting at the end of the day, the learning specialist invited that young man to speak to the classroom, which is to the teachers. And she had been working with the young man and had, had helped him to understand you know, how, to, how to connect better what was going on here with his hands. He'd made such huge improvements. And she asked him a question. She said, Johnny, before today, what did you think about yourself? And he said the words in high school terms. He said, I thought I was stupid. And she said, Johnny, what do you know about yourself now? And the tears streamed down his cheeks. And he said, now I know I'm not stupid. And wasn't that a gift that the woman gave him? She told him who he really was and what he could really do. And she looked at him and she was on. She said, there's still work to do, Johnny. But now you know you can do it. So what did God do for us on Easter 2,000 years ago? Among us, there are people in this room, myself included, that sometimes think, God must hate me. God must be tired of me. God must be done with me. Knowing who I am, what I've done, what's happened in my life. Others are saying, there's no future for me. Yeah, I see it with my friends. They have a future but I don't don't belong there. We've got no role in the kingdom. I'll just keep moving and hope for the best one day. But no. God says because of Christ, you are profoundly loved. Because of Jesus, you are powerfully changed. You have a role in the kingdom. Aaron has a role. Caleb has a role. Danny has a role. In your future is both certain and incredible. And now there is still work to do, but now you know you can go do it, not because you're smart enough, but because of Jesus' victory over death and the power of the resurrection. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the fact that you are not dead. May the truth of the resurrection change us. Give us hope, give us perspective. And may we be Easter people who live out our call to love the world, to reflect Christ, and to live into who we are as sons and daughters of you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.